You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Here's Nate. Well, as we turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 20, we are continuing on in a section of the Proverbs that deal with general Proverbs or wise and righteous sayings from God. And as I've pointed out previously, the collection of these Proverbs is scattered topically, which helps us as we read through the Proverbs to be able to interact with various elements of human life in every single chapter that we read. Now, verse 1 of chapter 20 is an element of life that is very practical and probably touches every single one of our lives in one way or another. Wine, verse 1, is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now here, the Proverbs are dealing with every form of alcoholic drink. They cover the grape-based alcoholic drinks and also the wheat-based alcoholic drinks when they talk of wine and strong drink. But, of course, they're actually dealing with any form of intoxication that a human being could come upon in order to take them intentionally into an inebriated state. And so here, the proverb actually is very strong against alcoholic beverages. It is not like other passages which deal exclusively or more so with drunkenness. Here, the commission is, look, it can make you into a brawler. It can make you into a person who is not wise. It can make you into a person who is led astray. The idea here is that a person can become, through alcohol or substance abuse, aggressive, brawler, or wayward, led astray, which is a good description of what alcohol abuse can do to a person. And, you know, as we look all around the world that we live in, it's obvious to us that the dangers of alcohol abuse are all around us. Uh, even in ancient times, apparently, as we read the Proverbs, this problem was accurately seen. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is where true boldness and true self-expression are found. You are most truly yourself when you are filled with the Spirit of the living God and not in a drunken stupor. Now, in verse 2, he goes on to say, The terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. This speaks of a leader, a king in this instance, who is overly driven by his emotions. And, you know, anytime a leader is unable to keep their emotional responses in check, it can be difficult to follow that leader. A leader needs to have emotion, to be sure. But here you have a king that is terrible in the way that his emotions drive him. 
and the people underneath him, for them, it's like experiencing a growling lion who, of course, is a threat. In verse 3, he says, It is an honor for a man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Now, some people here jump at the chance for a controversy or a fight, but we should work to avoid all unnecessary confrontation. You know, there's just the reality that in the Christian life, there is going to be, there will be a time in every one of our lives where there is necessary confrontation. You know, a correction needs to be given, a a rebuke needs to be delivered. But for the most part, we should want to avoid unnecessary confrontation. The sluggard, verse 4, does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Now, this sluggard is a farmer who is too lazy to plant his crops at the right time. And the right time, of course, for planting the crop was in inclement weather. When it was cold, when it was wet, when it was unpleasant in the fall or even uh, in the winter, would be the time to get out there and get your crops uh, planted in the ground. Uh, And then, of course, as the spring rains came and then the latter rains came, you would expect for a harvest, but only if you planted during the times of difficulty. I like to run quite a bit. And if you're training for some kind of race, the reality is if you're going to run a, a race in the spring, you're going to have to train for that race in the winter. And there will be plenty of days where you don't feel like moving, you don't feel like working, you don't feel like training, just like this farmer would not feel like plowing in autumn. But the reality is, if you don't learn how to work when it's unpleasant, work when it is difficult, you won't see good fruit come from your lives. And I think that this is also an important principle when it comes to anyone involved in church work. Because as you consider the ministry, you consider that there are so many autumns that we must plow in. So many seasons that we must sow our seed in where it's difficult, it's hard. These aren't the things that we would prefer to do. But if we're faithful, we're going to see God give us fruit at the proper time. The purpose, verse 5, of a man's, in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. You know, it's just true that there are some people who have the skill to unearth the depths of someone else's heart. That's what this proverb is about. There's a man who has a heart and his heart is like deep water. There's a purpose inside of that man. It's very deep. It's hard to get to. But a man of understanding knows how to draw it out. Think of a well system, for instance, you know, or a pump that goes deep down into the earth and draws that water out. The idea there is that the water is not easily accessible, but with skill and with wisdom, it can be drawn. Here you have a a person who knows how to mine or to unearth the depths of someone else's heart. Uh, This speaks less of drawing out wisdom from someone else and more about drawing out the true thoughts and plans of someone else. That's what the the proverb says. The purpose of a man's heart is like deep water. Not the wisdom, but the purpose. So 
it, this speaks of those who are gifted in counsel and are able to draw out the wisdom, but also the plans, the desires, the thoughts of other people. Verse 6 then says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Now the word for steadfast love is a very famous Old Testament Hebrew word, the word hesed. It speaks of a covenant level kind of love. And then also the word faithful is added to this. And these together form great qualities in the Old Testament era, steadfast love and also faithfulness. So the question is, who can find a man who has both of those elements working in their lives? This question indicates the rarity of this kind of person. You know, the truth is when the trials of life hit, you'll discover who is steadfast in love and who is faithful to you. The idea of the proverb seems to be, don't believe everyone. You, you'll have people who proclaim their steadfast love, but in times of difficulty, uh, that love will be either proved as legitimate or proved as false. And it might help us when we come across someone who is faithful and does demonstrate true, has said, covenantal, steadfast love, it might cause us to celebrate those people a little bit more than we do. To not take them for granted, but to rejoice in what God has done in their lives to bring them to that place. The righteous, verse 7, who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. You know, when a Christian father really allows the gospel to get a hold of his heart, he becomes a great refuge for his children. And as he walks in his integrity, he gives to his children such a great gift. You know, because what he's doing is he's pushing aside hypocrisy. He's refusing to say one thing and live another thing. That consistency is a treasure for his children. The, the proverb says, blessed are his children after him. What you have here is a father who fears the Lord. And I would encourage any father listening to this teaching to read the word, apologize for your sin, bring your children to church and serve God with your life. Live out the Christian life to the best of your ability and cling to God for his strength to do so. A king, verse 8, who sits on the throne of judgment winnows all evil with his eyes. Now, kings in the ancient world also served as judges. There are even times in the Old Testament where we find kings like David, for instance, hearing the cases of what you might consider rather common people in Israel. So kings served oftentimes as judges. And here he talks about a judge who winnows all evil with his eyes. This indicates the idea that he is laying his own eyes upon the case and with a good king or with a good judge, as he does, justice flows. Perhaps the concept here is that there are certain acts of judgment that cannot be delegated to someone else, but the right person must set their eyes upon it. Who can say, verse 9, 
I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. Now, this is a fascinating proverb to me because it indicates that even in ancient Israel, there was an understanding that the sacrificial system could not cleanse them fully from sin. You know, there was this sense of saying, look, I could go to the temple, I could go to the altar, I could go to the priesthood, and I could offer my sacrifices, but really, have I made my heart pure? The the, the question has within it the idea of an answer of no. No one can say, I've made my heart pure. No one can say, I am clean from my sin. Now, of course, this is preparatory for the gospel. Because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have a way for us to have our hearts made pure for us by another. That's what Jesus has given to us. The blood of goats and bulls cannot cleanse our conscience, but the blood of Jesus Christ, Hebrews 9, 13, and 14, is able to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 10, unequal weights and an unequal And unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, in those days, they had crude scales that could be changed out to benefit the purpose. You know, if the person owning the scale was making a purchase, then they would change the scales accordingly. Uh, If they were selling something, then they could change the scales accordingly in order to financially benefit themselves in whatever transaction was being made. Both of these things were an abomination to the Lord. Unequal weights and unequal measures were an abomination to the Lord. In fact, God had given to Israel a law in Deuteronomy 25 verse 13 to 16 that they would only have one set of weights in their work and in their home. There needed to be a consistency, not one set for buying and one set for selling. The idea here is that deceitful financial maneuverings are abhorrent to God. Now, this doesn't mean that because they're an abomination to God, he will show himself then and there. No, we live in a world where these abominable practices take place and people engage in theft and cheating and manipulation all the time in the financial sector and world, but the Lord sees it and it is an abomination to him. And and one day he will show himself. One day he will judge. Now this helps us understand that God is interested in our ordinary financial dealings. He sees. He wants us to be a people who are just. Even a child, verse 11, makes himself known by his acts by whether his conduct is pure and right. In other words, what a person says they are Even what a child says they are, here in verse 11, does not reveal who they are. No, it's the acts of a person that reveal who they truly are. So you can say all you want, but what you do, how you live your life, demonstrates much more accurately who you actually are. Verse 12, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. In other words, we get our spiritual perception, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, from the Lord. This is fascinating because it helps us understand that we need God to give us spiritual insight and illumination. 
Paul has a beautiful passage about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where he, where he tells us that when you become born again, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and the Spirit who is from God, helps you understand the things that have been freely given to you by God. In other words, it is the Spirit who helps us even understand the Bible itself and the promises, the blessings that God has given to us. John called this in his first epistle, the anointing that we have from the Lord. And so even in the Old Testament, that understanding was seen, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord made them both. He's the one that gives us spiritual illumination. Verse 13, love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you will have plenty of bread. Now, sleep, while obviously necessary and good for human flourishing, is not to be loved, this proverb tells us, in a lazy way. Love not sleep. I mean, everybody loves when they're tired to, to go to bed, but here the idea uh, is of in a lazy or overindulgent kind of way. And then if a person does, then poverty will come into their lives. Bad, bad, verse 14, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. Now, this is a humorous proverb where the author is invisible and he's watching witnessing a buyer in the market he makes a purchase he walks away when he's making the purchase he says bad bad oh this isn't worth all that much but then when he goes away and is far from the seller he boasts about the purchase or the deal that he made so the author invisibly follows the buyer and sees this act. Now, the proverb is casting this as not just humor, but as a negative act. I think that this proverb teaches us something about advertising. And I think it teaches us something about paying what something is worth. I think if we think about the, you know, buying and selling and negotiating and trying to rip people off and get the best deal we can or get things for free that we should pay for. If you could just push a button on the world economy and all of a sudden trade was just incredibly fair and everybody paid what something was actually worth and all advertising was deleted and we didn't try to snooker our fellow man, but we just said, look, there's needs. Let's buy. Let's sell. Let's just help each other out and, you know, pay and sell at a fair price. If that took place, think about the health and the beauty that would come into the world. Verse 15, there is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. So this helps us understand that when you come across someone who has knowledge, you know, they can speak knowledge, they're able to communicate and teach knowledge, that, that's a precious jewel. That, that's someone who, you know, there's gold, yeah, and there's costly stones, sure, but someone who can know and communicate that knowledge, that's a treasure. Take a man's garment, verse 16, when he has put up security for a stranger, and hold it in pledge when he puts up security for foreigners. Now, here what we discover is that a debtor's outer garment could be taken by a creditor as collateral to guarantee that the debtor would pay. So here is an exhortation to be wise and discerning in business dealings and in financial transactions. 
Verse 17, bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Now, here the idea is that when someone, you know, lies and deceives to get their way in life, there is a consequence even in the here and now. Way back in Proverbs 9, verse 17, we heard the line from folly shouting, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But here we have the full story. The full story is that, yeah, you can take shortcuts. Uh, you can, you know, sin to get your way. And for a moment, it will be sweet. But in the end, it is your mouth will be full of gravel. And in other words, for a moment, sin is pleasurable, as Moses knew, Hebrews chapter 11 but in the end, it leads to bitterness of heart. Verse 18, plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Now here we understand or learn about wise planning and counsel before going into war. Now, there's an interesting statement from Jesus on this in the context of talking about discipleship. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus was explaining to his disciples that they needed to renounce everything that they had in order to be his disciple. And in the setting there, in talking to them about discipleship, he gave an illustration of a king going out to war. And he also gave an illustration of someone building a tower. But in the illustration of the king going out to war, he said that the king deliberates and thinks about whether with 10,000 he could defeat an army of 20,000. And if not, he seeks for a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Now, many times people interpret that statement from Jesus to mean that he's saying to us, hey, count the cost. Think about whether you can really live the life of discipleship, whether you can really build the tower or whether you can really go into war. I don't know that that's what Jesus was saying because he invites all of us into a life of discipleship. Every believer, he's saying, become and make disciples. It's not an optional thing that he's saying, hey, think about it, count the cost. Now, it seems to me that in the context where Jesus is saying, Look, you can't be my disciple unless you renounce all that you have. It seems to me that Jesus himself is saying, I am going to wage war. I am going to build a tower. But before I do, I am thinking about whether I have the right soldiers and the right materials to be able to do so. And so it speaks to us of being the right people for the job that Jesus is doing. Plans are established by counsel by wise guidance wage war. Verse 19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Uh, likely, some there are going to be people in your life at times that you have to remove yourself from. And this is wisdom and will, in the long run, be good for you. Verse 20, if one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Now, in the law, it said in Exodus 21, 17, that whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. And we have no instance of that ever being used uh, in the Old Testament uh, era. Uh, but we do understand that obedience from a child and honor from a child to their parents is important 
for society and also for a church society. Paul told children in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, of all the things that he could have told them, he said, Children, obey, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. An inheritance, verse 21, gained hastily in the beginning, will not be blessed in the end. Now, this hastily gained inheritance does not only speak of speed, but of sin. As when the prodigal son requested his inheritance early in Luke chapter 15 in Jesus' parable. So, what's being said here is that when it comes to financial matters, it is healthy to slowly build up and work for your income and your savings. Do not, verse 22, say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Here, this person, the wise person, is not eager to display the classic Old Testament attitude of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, like Jesus, who 1 Peter 2 verse 23, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, that same spirit comes into the believer's heart and they say, I'll wait for the Lord. I'm going to let God defend me. Verse 23, unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. So similar to verse 10 and Chapter 11, verse 1, here we have an indication of the importance and seriousness of, again, that particular sin of unjust weights. Uh, so we have it multiple times throughout the Proverbs. It just helps us understand that to God, this is very serious. A man's steps, verse 24, are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? This speaks to us of the sovereignty of of God. Think of the story, for instance, of the steps of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. Do you remember that story? They were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. The church was in its infancy and they saw a man that was begging and Peter, filled with faith, laid his eyes upon him and said, silver and gold I buy none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you, rise up and walk. And the man got up and was walking and leaping and praising God. A crowd gathered. The gospel was preached. Many were saved. Peter and John were then arrested by the religious authorities and got to testify before the religious leaders there in Israel. They would have been able to look at that sequence of events and say, God is sovereignly leading our lives. Man's steps, they would have said, are from the Lord. That's why, in response to that whole thing, when they were finally set free, they gathered together with other believers and prayed in Acts 4, verse 24, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and earth. They, they saw the sovereignty of God. Verse 25, it is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. In other words, uh, this is a way to really think through your commitments. The temptation would be for someone to say that their home or their crops or their possessions, to just quickly say, it's holy. In other words, it belongs to the Lord. I give it to him. But they should really slow down and make sure that they're able to keep the commitments that they make to God. And we definitely live in an age where it's easy to overcommit in even good areas. And so to make sure that we're committing the right amount in the right areas and making sure we remain undercommitted 
in the other areas of life. Verse 26, a wise king winnows the wicked and drives the wheel over them. Uh, So this meant that to drive away the chaff from the wheat and uh, to crush the corn. And so the idea was a wise king is able to do that, is able to extricate wickedness from his kingdom. The spirit, verse 27, of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all his innermost parts. When, you, when your spiritual life is functioning properly, you grow. That, that's what's being said here. Uh, one way you grow is by experiencing less self-deception. So as the, as the Lord is allowing this illumination to occur inside of you, growth occurs. Verse 28, steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. And by steadfast love, his throne is upheld. Now, a king is only as good in this proverb as the people who support him. He's saying steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king. Uh, This means that he is upheld and he is preserved by people who are loving, faithful, and steadfast. I experience this all the time in my role as a local church pastor, the people that are around me are the ones who bring the church such great success. And though I'm no king and should not operate as one, it is such a blessing as a leader to have supportive, helpful, faithful people that uphold and preserve my life and my role as a leader within this fellowship. Verse 29, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. This is a way of saying that there are different seasons of life and and different ways of of doing things. There are times where you do things by strength and times that you do things by wisdom, but each season has its own glory. And this to me is just absolutely fascinating because it tells me that God has a way of redeeming even the fall itself. Because if you think about it, we were created without sin, without error, without blemish, and without the ability to age and then die. Of course, we would have aged, but not in in an atrophy or an atrophying kind of way. But here we see that God has redeemed these different seasons. He's made youth beautiful and, and older age beautiful in their own ways. Verse 30, blows that wound cleanse away evil strokes make clean the innermost parts Uh, this speaks of the importance of having discipline in our lives as christians and sometimes that discipline comes from our father in heaven sometimes it comes from our own self sometimes we have to give it to children or to others but it is good to have accountability in our lives to help us stay away from evil to deal with the innermost parts. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.